Johnny Pollard and welcome to episode three of the One Giant Mind podcast. We're in downtown New York City with Andrea Stern. After telling a little bit about my story, it inspired a question in Andrea about the reality of how we reconcile this idea of surrendering into this deeper nature that I'm describing as love and the need to try and drive our experience to use some degree of force of our will. What she was requiring was some insight about how we strike that perfect balance between the principle of surrendering into our deeper nature and also driving our life experience. It's a fascinating conversation. There's just something so beautifully simple in what you say and how you say it. And that's what I remember when we spoke the first time is that the simplicity, the possibility of it, as you say, for everyone to access that and experience that. Because when you say it, both how you say it and what you say is absolutely and completely believable. The question I have is how we lose that simplicity. And the first place I go is this question of letting go and falling into that innate place of peace and oneness within the world or your surroundings, um, and the role of will, to will things to happen, to try to make things happen. That's how we're taught. That's how we're, I mean, in what you're talking about, this, 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 this tremendous battle, you know, and this question of finding this balance between letting go and making something happen. You know, where does that fit in? Hmm. Right? We're taught all the time to make things better, um, whether it's ourselves or the world or another person that you love. Let's make it better. And what you're saying is it's, it's, um, it's not that it's passive, but I want to understand more of this relationship between mm. the passive and the defiant. Mm. So the big question is, what does better look like? We're so hell-bent <laughs> on trying to improve. But what is the vision of the goal? What does improvement actually look like? And this is actually the question that we're not asking without challenging our assumptions of what we think progress looks like. For most people, progress looks like greater wealth, more things, greater status, um, the acquisition of certain types of relationships that we believe will provide us with a greater sense of satisfaction. And to answer your question, you know, where does the, at what point do we lose that wonder, that innocent relationship? It's at the point where we realize that in order to participate in the world that we live in, the current paradigm, we need to recognize that our status, which equates to the degree of freedom that we have to exercise our will is a very interesting thing to consider. Our status with the little equals, the freedom to exercise our will. 
when we are indoctrinated into a culture, a system, a way of being, whereby we only give ourselves permission to do what we desire based on the way in which society deems us qualified. It's a very interesting thing. Now, many of you might define yourselves as strong-willed, high-spirited, <laughs> you know, self-determining people. And that's great. That's what we need to be. The reality is that not one of us can escape the impact and the influence of the status quo, the collective state of indoctrination into the belief system that satisfaction comes through acquisition and acquisition leads to status and status equals power. And this is the mass delusion that we've been indoctrinated into that is at the root of our suffering. We are in pursuit of something that is not even relevant. Now, it's not to say that having a nice car and a nice house and nice things and great relationships and to be widely known for all of your wonderful efforts, your creative endeavors and whatever, there's great value in all of that. There's purpose and reason for that. That extends beyond just satisfying your need to be validated. There's a, there's a great potency in being known for your creativity in so much as how it influences and inspires and elevates everybody that gets the opportunity to interact with it. The point I'm making here is that as children, we slowly become indoctrinated into a system whereby we are forced to participate in demonstrating our ability to acquire and the degree that we are capable of acquiring high grades, that's how it starts, you know, kudos in the, in the playground, um, you know, how good are your handball skills? How many times can you jump rope without, you know, before you, you run out of steam? All these little things in the playground, these competitive narratives that are imposed upon us at a very early age, the age that we're mirroring from the adults and the influences in our lives. And then we go into high school. The social status thing becomes a lot more real. Belonging to the cool group, not belonging to the cool group, has a massive impact on the mental and emotional well-being of, of young people. And their place in life, which has a massive impact on the degree to which they deem themselves capable and worthy of living life the way they want to. For the most part, most young people don't even consider living a life that they want to. They're constantly just strategizing about or constructing a life that is going to give them the greatest level of capability to acquire things in order to generate status. The, the, the principle of just knowing yourself, loving yourself, having an intimate relationship with the present moment, 
understanding the responsibility of the power of our own attention and how it influences, impacts every single thing that we encounter. To me, this is the single most important thing that needs to be cultivated in every human being from a very young age. And it is the one thing that is absolutely squashed. And we are indoctrinated into this machine to conform and to contort ourselves, to contort our spirit, to fit into an oddly shaped cloak or, or gown or outfit and walk around as if we're like, hey, I'm all cool. Yeah, <laughs> I've got it going on. <laughs> when I talked about in the first episode, I said, you know, I was defiant. I was aware of this. I, was, I felt myself being dragged into a world that I didn't want to be a part of. But I was conflicted because I wanted to be a part of everything. I wanted to belong to everyone. I wanted to be friends with everybody. When I got to high school, a very strange thing happened. Where, well, in my primary school, we had 40 different nationalities in our school. 40. And then I went to a high school where there was 40 different nationalities. But by the time we got halfway through seventh grade, all the different racial groups started splitting off into their gangs, into their groups. And I was so confused and lost because I'm like, who do I choose? And because I refused to be with just one, all the Anglo-Australians rejected me very fiercely, violently rejected me. I found myself in constant fights at lunchtime, fistfights, with my my Anglo homies because I was hanging out with the Lebanese and the Italian, the Greek, the Croatian, the Chinese. They were all my friends. I grew up with them for six years in primary school. The concept was just unfathomable to me that I had to reject them in order to belong to this one small group. You know, this, this was a, a, you know, one of many examples of what I was experiencing and I was just like, no. And as a result, I was, I was very alone. I mean, you know, my, my other friends from the different cult, they, I didn't get rejected by any of the Italians or the Lebanese or any of those guys. They actually embraced me and I was kind of quietly a little, little, little white hero <laughs> to them. Um, <clears throat> but it, it still very much hurt. And so you, my anger with the world you know, built through lots and lots of experiences like this where I just, I didn't have the, the emotional capability to resolve it. And so it expressed itself as spontaneous moments of anger. I'd see something in just, and I'd lose it in a fit of rage and, you know, do really violent things <laughs> because I had no control over what was going on. And we're seeing this everywhere. These kids, they're growing up so freaking confused because they're, they're not provided with an essential framework by which they can contextualize their experience. The yearning to belong to something that reflects their inner reality, which is a beautiful, innocent love for life. How do our little babies, our little gorgeous children turn into these, these, these people that can be so cruel? And so disregarding and dismissive and shut down in denial 
despondent, depressed, anxious, narcissistic. We're breeding them. And this, this is a really great little segue into the kind of modern context for meditation. Why am I such a, a impassioned proponent of meditation? Is because as far as I know, based on my many years of exploration, and believe me, I've, I've unturned many stones and looked into many different cultures to see what technology they have that can cure the ailment of self-doubt. Because that's really what we're talking about here. The reality is, we all actually know ourselves. Each of you know who you are. That's not the issue. The issue is that you doubt that. And what you doubt, you replace with a constructed mental worldview that's not grounded in any real experience of your true self. And you know it when, you, when you're acting not in accordance with your true self. There's this kind of discord and anxiety in you. You see the way in which you affect other people. In comparison to when you connect with your true self and you express yourself from your heart, where you feel safe to be you, there is a moment of certainty and you connect with people on that level and you watch what happens and you're like, oh, <laughs> this is the way I want it to be all the time. <laughs> How can I make this my reality all the time? This is a this is a very big promise that meditation makes if one is willing to commit to the process of introducing it into their lives every day being able to gain access to the direct experience of your true self it's abstract the knowingness of who you are what you are is a is an abstract thing that can't really be defined but you, you, you know what it looks like, you know what it smells like, you know what it feels like, you know what it tastes like, you know, you know it in the other person when you're being it. You see it immediately, they light up. Connection is rich, whole, full, powerful. You feel like something is electric. The atmosphere changes. Everything changes. When we're, when we're operating and interacting with life from this place. And it's the deficit of this experience, from my perspective, that has led the world <laughs> into its precarious state that it's in right now. And so I live with a, a strong sense of mission without being ev an evangelist <laughs> uh, to inspire as many people as possible to at least open themselves to experiencing meditation for a period of time to give themselves the opportunity to actually create an experience of contrast to what they're used to, to recognize that through a simple mental process, we can lead our attention beyond the paradigm, the constructed paradigm of who we think we need to be in the world to just reconnect with 
actually who we are. Have that experience, come out of it, and then go, okay, do I want to rec- you know, acknowledge that I just led myself into myself and that feels really great? Or do I want to ignore that, pretend that that didn't happen and just keep functioning in, in the realm of defense? Because really, our, our, any constructed persona that we have that is not an expression of our true self is just a, a, a structure of defense in order to survive in this highly <laughs> brutal world. <laughs> this is why I'm, I'm personally inspired to teach meditation. And when I teach people to meditate and they have this experience and I just give them a little bit of encouragement, <laughs> keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. After a very short period of time, they don't require me to tell them to keep going. They just do it because it generates its own momentum. Connecting with our true self and recognizing we, we, we have the mechanism internally to make that connection is something that is so empowering that once we get the, the, that, that big heavy ball of the self rolling down that hill, it's hard to stop it. And so uh, One Giant Mind is a, is a sophisticated way of generating momentum so that we can see this happen on a mass scale and hopefully have a, a remarkable impact on our society and our culture. I think the goal that was uncovered here is that through the direct experience of our deeper nature, where we feel that flow of love and connection with ourselves and life, we notice that there is an impulse, an instinct to act in a particular way that mediates this need to navigate and negotiate our life experience moment to moment. It informs us of how we can be. There's no other real reference point in order for us to accurately know how to determine what's relevant for the way we behave, the way we interact, the way that we relate, than this deeper intuitive understanding and knowing. And what we realize through this perspective is that through a practice of meditation and taking time to actually nurture this experience, we cultivate it. And through that cultivation, we notice that it just naturally and spontaneously is there. Special thanks to our team, our show producer, Trevor Exter, Sean Tomlin, beautiful music composition by Ali Lieberman. Thank you again to Andrea Stern for allowing us to be in her gorgeous space to record this show, and to all the One Giant Mind team. If in this episode you felt inspired to want to learn meditation, there's two really great ways that we can recommend. Right now you can download the One Giant Mind app and learn with our 12-step course. But the most potent way to learn is with a teacher. We recommend that you go to the One Giant Mind website, onegiantmind.com, that's the numerical one, giantmind.com, and search out one of our certified teachers. Now, if you're feeling called to become a meditation teacher, be sure to check out the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Academy. 
more than ever we need expertly trained teachers to step out into the world to meet the demand of the growing number of people seeking a simple and effective way to learn how to practice meditation. We hope that you can join us for the next episode.